Blog Talk Radio. everyone. It's Wednesday, March 9th, 2022, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's right. It's not a Sunday and it's not 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome to GTP Keeper Radio. I'm Buddy Buscemi. I'm here with my good friend, Bill Stagel, and we're going to have a post-pandemic chat tonight. And it's just myself and Bill. Bill, how are you? Hey, buddy. Welcome to 2022, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we <laughs> thought 2021 was going to be the end of things, but it just keeps getting better. You are right. Um, yes. It's like, you know, I, I just wake up the next day just like I'm, I'm going to, you know, what could happen today? Um, what What event could be going on that could – potentially change, uh, you know, the uh, impact, uh, the entire globe. Uh, and it seems like, I, you know, I, we always, I, we're, I, we're coming up with better things each time. I know what it's going to be. What is it? It's going to be an alien invasion of earth. Oh no. Well, they already did that. Remember back when the, um, when, uh, the, the, 2020, when we first kind of shut everything down, don't you remember the U.S. Navy released those uh, yes. UFO videos? So uh, they've already set the well, stage for that. So um, yeah, it could yeah, be. That, yeah, that, yeah, that's just that was just the prep work. Yeah, now it's really now it's really going to happen. That's my prediction. So what for the end, when the aliens the come? The well, so when the aliens come, will they be on the side of? U.S. Ark, or would they be on the side of, <laughs> of uh, PETA? Which well, one are you thinking? I think, I think the good news is is they're going to be on the side of U.S. Ark. Bad news okay. is, is is they're going to be reptilian, and they're going to want to kill all human beings. That's and then belief. maybe put us in small areas and try <laughs> to uh, – Mimic our produce, yes. reproduce Mimic our us in captivity. <laughs> yes. Now, now you know hmm. where I'm going with this. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Well, you know what, Bill? I'm going to be like yeah. five years ago. I would have asked, uh, what exactly had you done before the show? Um, <laughs> but now, here in 2022, I'm going to just say it's it's probably not uh, an outside possibility. It, it may even ha- it could happen. 
I'm I'm literally just now having my first sip of wine. So, yep. Okay. No, All this right. is just this is just this is just pure, you know, what I think is coming down the pipe. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm uh, glad for glad that you are aware of what's coming down the pike. I'm unsure. I just yeah. wake up and read things and shake my head and say, okay. <laughs> well, you know, we're still here. So. <laughs> well, the good news about us how long how long has it been since we've done a show? That's exactly did you, did you where I was going next. See? I uh, did. How long? Did you? No. Did, but did you look? I'm, I was afraid. Okay, to look. we'll guess. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say guess. it's. Been, I'm going to say it's been a year. Fifteen months. Wow, fifteen months, and we don't have the COVID excuse, really. I mean, shit, we should have done. Yeah. We should have done an episode every week. Yeah, I don't know if I was. Yeah. You, yeah well, that would, that would, I, that'd you be know, a bad, that'd be a bad idea. Yeah, like I, for me personally, I kind of feel like. Um, 2021 for me was a blur. Um, you know, I was, you know, you know, very busy doing what I do work-wise. And then on top of it, um, I was volunteering a ton of hours because I thought, I actually thought that the vaccine and getting the vaccine out to as many people as possible was going to move us out of the pandemic by the <laughs> summer of 2021. So, from two, two weeks, uh, two December, weeks, and we flatten the curve, man. Two, two weeks, weeks and we flatten, flatten the, curve. the curve. So from yep. the from the first immunization I gave back in December of 2020 through June of 21, I was I mean I was just putting in monster hours, trying to like yeah. get everybody vaccinated. That way, you know, we can have a normal, you know, back to normal and. Everyone can reopen and, you know, it's, it's all behind us, but it's just lingered and lingered and lingered. And I, I mean, I feel like it's just, for me, I feel like I'm, I'm returning from a war. That's how I feel, like yeah. emotionally, um, you know, just like there's, I mean, for instance, last year um, I had two condor clutches. One was a very small clutch. The babies didn't really start really well. Um, eventually it was like four or five of them. They all perished. I couldn't get them going, but I wasn't spending much time with them. And then I had sure. another clutch, um, and, you know, I literally put them in the incubator, um, and I essentially, I truly was one of those things where um, I, like, looked at the calendars, like, oh, these things got to be hatching soon. I didn't even look, <laughs> having looked in Never the, in the incubator. Yeah. No, and the thing of it was is that um, I had not set them up with a little bit of vermiculite and deli cups, so they had pretty much all de desiccated. So I had one hatch. Mm. Wow. So I'm what like, a rookie okay. Uh, yeah. And rookie yeah I've, I've given enough. I've given enough to this effort <laughs> of uh, moving us away from this pandemic. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you know, you know, condor eggs are going to be a little bit more important to me this year than they were yeah. last year. So, um, but hey, look, I, I still manage two clutches of diamond pythons. I know you did. You did. That's right, and that's thank goodness. That's quite an accomplishment. They are just I know robust, strong animals. Are you talking about? Uh, yeah, one of the ones uh, Brian Phillips was talking about when he got from you on a podcast a couple yeah. nights ago. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, he really? loves that. Yeah. Loves that. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Absolutely yeah, they're they're awesome. It. Well, I don't know if you remember, Bill. I had a a female retain eggs. She laid like half the clutch. 
And, yeah. um, yep. you know, she looked like she had, you know, three or four eggs in her. And um, I don't know if you remember me telling you this, but I took her to, you know, took her to my vet. And my vet was like, well, you know, she's really not in any distress. She's not showing any signs of infection. You know, we could try to manually palpate them out or we could even do surgery. But if we go either way, pretty good chance reproductively that animals, you know, it, it won't be able to produce any more animals. And um, the advice was take the snake home, feed it, and just watch it. And if it has any problems, bring it back to us. And eventually, like every week or two, it passed uh, an egg. And the last it, last egg it passed was six weeks after the the date of lay. Mm. And she's doing good? She's doing great. Yep. I had a, uh, a Borneo short-tail python last year. <clears throat> My very first clutch of Borneos. Big girl. First time to breed. She laid 10 eggs and retained 10 eggs and they were all high. She was, uh, I mean, just knew she was going to need surgery to get them out. And sure enough, did did the surgery, you know, with a exotic reptile vet, a a young guy, but very well-trained. I think I may have told this story or may have told you. He was actually Marshall Mendez's snake boy, like back in 2000. You know, and the kid ended up going to vet school and did his residency or his fellowship in exotics. And so now here he is, you know, 15 minutes, lives 15 minutes from where I live. And um, he so he did the surgery. He said he was super nervous. He'd done he had done surgery for egg bound snakes before, but never a Borneo. And as you can imagine, I mean, this thing was just massive and. You know, just they they look just morbidly obese and she had 10 eggs in her and he did a great job. She recovered phenomenally. Um, um, But he said, you know, that she had a good chance. You know, she lost the one oviduct, obviously. Uh, But he said the other oviduct looked good and to give her a year or two off. And he said, you could try breeding her again. her, Her other oviduct looked fine. So we'll see. Nice. We shall see. It's always something. It's always something with with living creatures. Yeah, and if you you know when you just keep the volume that I do, to be honest, I'm surprised it's not something more often. You know, I mean, True. just these things are just so man, they're just so rock steady when you just give them the bare minimums of, of what they need and don't just don't fuck too many things up. And man, they're really rock rock steady. Right. Right. Yep. You're you're going to have something sooner or later. They're live animals. My yeah, wife uh, makes me watch this vet this vet show. Um, some guy out somewhere, Doctor Pole or something like this. She watches this vet show, and um, this guy has a vet practice, and he does everything. And you know, you just see he he runs out to these uh, you know dairy farms and these you know people that are raise, raising thoroughbred horses, and you know well taken care of animals but still they you know large large volume of animals you're going to run into situations where animals are going to have a a problem and they're they're going to need vet help sooner or later or they're going to die yeah or or, or they're going to get vet help and then they're going to die that's right i love it when that happens 
<laughs> it's just a matter of time, man. They all do it. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, Unfortunately, well, we, uh, we we haven't bred out the uh, immortal gene of in snakes yet. No, no, we haven't. But that's good for business. Good point. Well, we decided we're going to do a hard stop on this show at, at I think, 90 minutes. Yep. Um, it's been a long time since we got together and chatted. There's a lot of dust on the broadcast equipment in my studio. And we've got some stuff we want to cover. So let's delve into it. All right. You go first. Well, I was looking. You sent me a little – you sent me a note. Let's do a collection – Let's do a collection and breeding update on us first. We'll get that out of the way. Sure. Okay. Lead us off. You you go. Okay. Um, You know, I've had a phenomenal season so far, and I say that kind of with many fingers crossed and many prayers said to Rico and the Condor Gods because, you know, I have eggs in the incubator, and and still a gravid female. So the journey is long from over, but the start of it has just been it, the best the best start that I've had with green trees ever, or, or with Morelia because I've got a, a clutch of rough scale pythons in the incubator too. So yeah, right on. Super super blessed, and uh, man, I'm glad this is my full time gig now because. I've got um, 25 green tree eggs, 15 rough scale eggs, and a big, big girl that's due to lay, a green tree girl that's due to lay any day. So I'm glad I'm doing it full time. I'm glad I'm, I'm not putting in, you know, 40, 60, 70 hours a week and and going to try to do this because I don't think that would be a lot of fun, you know. Right. Yep. I think you're all right. Bill, how many years have you been in this house now? Refresh my memory. Yeah, that's a great question, and I was going to bring it up. So almost three years now. We we moved the facility. That makes sense. Yeah, between two and a half and three years, and it really does make sense because I bred nothing the year that we moved, so lost a year there. The second year here, I bred a couple of select – animals i bred the rough scales i've got two females neither one went i bred two female green trees one of them went that was a a jaeger bred the biscuit and she went and had 10 eggs Uh, and that was it that was last year and so this year everybody you know after two years it really settled in um, and, you know, I bred three female green trees. They all went, I bred two rough scale females and one of the two went. And so, you know, I think everybody just really settled in the rest probably did them well. Um, you know, the, the biscuit, the, the, the female that laid first for me this year is a, she's just a freak and, uh, Jaeger, the male is a freak as well, but this was a crazy clutch. She, she laid last year, 10 eggs and she got back on food, did awesome, doing all the right things. I I had planned on breeding her again 
this year because um, she had not bred the year before that, and she was just doing great. And uh, I got my dates confused, and I put Jaeger back in with her, but I got my dates confused, and it was a couple, it was a, a couple months too early. I, I, so I thought about it even after I put him in, but I was back in the house. And I said, screw it. I'll just take him out tomorrow and, and put him in in two months. So I, I got next morning, get up, take him out. They were completely separate, nothing going on. Well, she ended up ovulating a month later. And <laughs> I was trying to figure out what in the hell happened. I mean, one of two things, what I thought happened was, is that she, he, her, his presence triggered her to ovulate and she was just going to lay slugs. That's, that's what I was totally expecting. Um, well, she ovulated and she laid 16 perfect eggs and one slug. So either he snuck a very quick one in or she retained sperm. I'm really not even sure. I mean, it, it was just, it was crazy because that's such the opposite of what, you know, you're used to seeing these things right. pair multiple times, female, you know, she stops eating. Oh, then she starts eating again and you don't know where you are. You know, where is she? And this was just the complete opposite. So that was, that was a crazy clutch, totally expecting to pull slugs. In fact, I, I ultrasounded her because she was acting after she ovulated, you know, she had a nice ovulation. So I ultrasounded mm-hmm. her a, a couple of weeks after she ovulated and they, they looked like slugs on the ultrasound. I mean, they weren't, to me, they didn't look like just a nice, beautiful, like oval shaped. I don't know. Maybe I was just being super pessimistic the, t- the day I ultrasounded her, but I was shocked when she had, she had viable eggs. What's well, your theory that's, on that? That's what happened? pretty good. Though. I don't know. I, I wonder, I don't know. It only takes one time. That's what they say, you know. But, I, you know uh, go ahead. I, I often wonder in the wild, right, do we know that males roam large ranges, um, and do they, you know, come across the female, and if it's, you know, is it if, if it's the breeding season, is there any interaction, and how, you know, or if it is the breeding season, how long does a male really stay in the same area as a female? You know, are there multiple breedings going on? Um, or is it just one of those, it's a, a one-time encounter and the animal, you know, the male goes about his, his way, spreading his ge- genetic material throughout the, the little area that he lives. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That, that's really interesting. Um, but, you know, there are, you know, a lot of reptiles, do have the ability to retain sperm and yeah. produce viable offspring um, from that. So I don't yeah, know, and Bill. And his, did you? So yeah, and his presence. Did you have his presence your, could have triggered her? You know, so could have, could have. Do you have like a camera set up, like a, a IR camera, or anything set up that that you could have reviewed the the breeding activity overnight? I do have a camera, but I of course didn't shine it in in on them you know that that one night um right and i and i have the camera but it, it's not very sophisticated and i can watch live but i i can't watch i can't record it i mean okay i don't know it, right. just yeah. just uh super weird good but 
yeah. she laid and then and then on the same day another female laid one that i was anticipating um they both had their post ovulation shed on the exact same day and laid on the exact same day so that was pretty cool I've, i was out of town of nice. course when they let, both laid well you know um, they like to do that <laughs> i'm telling you they just know you know they just know yes. When is Bill out? Um, oh, this day. This will be the oh, right day to lay right here. Yeah, let me let me mark it down on my Outlook calendar. <laughs> so, but they get out their little I've phone. Help. <laughs> yeah, they get out their little phone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've got a good help uh, who did an awesome job pulling the eggs for me, um, and that was a, a first time pairing. That was that that should could be a potential to have a real cool clutch. It was uh, the male that was an animal that I produced, produced in 2017, and um, he was an animal. Uh, the male uh, that produced this animal was uh, a sire I called Son of B, and that was uh, he was an offspring of Bainan, the Bainan Blue Arfac Ryan Burke, um, yeah, Stevens uh-huh. there. Remember, yep. remember that a long time ago. Mm-hmm. I do remember those animals. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, I got one of those and bred it to uh, my blue cyclops female, and produced the male that's the sire to this clutch. And he bred a bushmaster red manacory female. So potential mm. to have some pretty cool looking stuff in there, I think. Yeah, that could be really nice. A very yeah. interesting outcome there. And what about the yeah. third female you have that's gravid? So the third female, uh, Jaeger double dipped. So he, he was okay. one and out with biscuit, one and out with biscuit. And then I bred him to a, a, a big yellow. She was a yellow Neo. She's a green snake. Now I call her Clover, but, uh, Rocky, uh, is it Gravy? Is that how you pronounce his name? Gra- Gravely. Gravely. You know, who? Yep. Gravely, Rocky Gravely. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. it was an yep. animal that, that he, that he produced. And uh, I just remember her her sire is an animal called Malachite, which mm. I don't know if you know that animal, but he is an incredible. He was red, incredibly red and very uh, – he was, was a red neo and a lot of melanism in him. So I think I do it'll be interesting. Thing. Do you? Yeah. It's, he, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Um and the, the the female to this clover animal was called Stella, and I think Rocky produced them both, um, or at least he bred them and he produced this animal, this female that I have. But she's a big, nice. she's the biggest biggest green tree female that I've ever had in my possession that I've ever seen in person. She's massive, so I, she's probably going to have a good number go. of eggs in her, even though this is her first time to breed. <laughs> 48 maybe maybe 28 but we'll see yeah. but her eggs look her eggs look awesome on ultrasound i couldn't count them but there's a lot well that's cool so, very cool yes yes so that's my so far very very early very finger crossed part of the part of the season for me and oh, then the rough like, scale uh, yeah Rough scales, those are awesome too. My second time to to produce those. Very nice. 
So, so no battle chondros in the future? <laughs> no, Owen would, he would fly down here and kill me immediately. So that, under that pretense alone, <laughs> I've, just, I've decided not to You're just not going to do it? No. Gotcha. No, okay. There. All right. <laughs> All right. So what about you? Um, so I did, uh, I did four pairings this year. Three of them took, uh, my first pairing was a repeat. Actually, this is the third time they've, this, uh, these two animals have been paired together. Um, and in 2020, this is the pairing that produced the really unique looking neonate that maybe could be a hypomelanistochondro, maybe not. I'm still trying to figure it all out. Right. Yeah, um, I've and got so the, I've got the sibling. I've got the sibling here, right? Right. Or yes, the sibling to repeat. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. And um, so I repeated that. Uh, she threw a pretty got pretty decent sized clutch, like fourteen eggs, and um, I only got six good babies out of it, though. So I'm not sure if I'm hmm. seeing some. Um, uh, I don't know if it's just the the age of the animals now, or if it's uh, just, uh, you know, just being so genetically tight that there's just some, you know, a lot of the babies hatch out with the little mild deformities and stuff like that. So um, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, they don't make the cut. So, um, sure. but it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, had a, uh, one animal that looked identical to the baby that hatched last year, but it had a uh, malformed jaw. So obviously oh. that one, you know, didn't, you know, not not keeping that around. Um, yep. And so then I've got another another clutch in the incubator, uh, first time female this year, and um, and then I just had a female lay a clutch yesterday, and uh, this female produced a clutch in 2020. This this year I used a different male. This male was from uh, the. Uh, she was uh, the female was a the biak was called Stitch, who was produced yeah. by John Irby, who traced the lineage back to Rico, some really high yellow uh biak blood in there. And um it was uh the sire of the clutch is uh Sugar Ray, which is Marshall Mendez's one of Marshall Mendez's pairing that has um Versace blood in it. So I've had yeah, this yeah. male. I had this male out in 2013, and he's just been here. And I've never really used him for anything. He's pretty plain looking, um, but he's a cool snake. Um, he actually went through a really unique phase as a baby, though, and that's one of the reasons I kept him. He turned green, except his dorsal pattern was red, and then hmm. but that all eventually faded away. Um, so I kept him just for that reason, but I've never paired him. And this year, I paired him for the first time, and so. Um, he was one of those breeders where I would, you know, I, I would come down in the morning and they would be on opposite ends of the cage. And uh, I was like, yeah, you know, well, maybe he's, maybe I waited too long for this guy or maybe he's just not into this female. But I do have, you know, a camera that does does send stuff up to the cloud. So when I reviewed, he was locking with her overnight. Like he would go about after midnight after the lights had been off for several hours. They would go, they would be locked up, and about an hour before the lights came back on, he would he would release himself and go to the other end of the cage. So, yeah, yeah. So, yep. 
it's super nice yeah, to have that, uh, that, tech, that technology for sure to be able to do that. It It is. And I'm also thinking, man, I might pick up an ultrasound too this year maybe. Um, just because I have a couple females that um, they're, they're, they're ready, but maybe they're going to be more spring breeders or maybe they're going to be more summer breeders. I don't know. So maybe I'm thinking an ultrasound maybe will give me a little bit better idea of what's going on follicle-wise with, with these animals, and maybe they may need to be timed pairing-wise a little bit differently in order to have some success with them. Yeah, I think it can make a difference. I ultrasound, I don't ultrasound a lot of ball pythons, but I've been using the ultrasound in ball pythons for several years. I don't do it consistently, but sometimes, you know, a female will just fool me and I'm not where, I'm not sure where she is. And it's real easy to ultrasound and, and check follicle size. But the ball python follicle size, it's really like well documented. Like, you know, you have certain size follicles and, you know, you get that male in there, and it can be a one and done. The green trees, are, first of all, they're harder to ultrasound than a ball python because they're thinner and they're moving a lot more. And um, I just don't know if there's follicle size data out there where you could say, oh, you know, her follicles at 30 millimeter, 30 millimeters, or 22 millimeters, or you know, I guess you could certainly track the size. Um, but I'm telling you, they're just a little harder to ultrasound. And I, it was great for me because I was just able, I just wanted to know if they were gravid or not. You know, I, I just wanted to, right. be able to put it up there and see if I saw either huge follicles or eggs or, or something. And so that was convenient, you know, to be able to, to do that, at least, you know, for me and the, uh, and I did it with the rough scale too. Um, so yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great tool to have uh, in your disposal. Well, I'll have to start shopping. Yep. I'll teach you how to use it. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> I, I think you'll be just fine since that's what you work with every day when you go to work. That's right. And I'm not looking at gravid snakes, unfortunately. Well, I'll tell you the quality um, of the vet ultrasound that you will be acquiring for $2,000 is not quite the same that you're uh, used to up at the hospital. I'll just tell you that. Maybe I'll just bring the snakes into the hospital and I won't <laughs> have to buy anything. <laughs> Perfect. Excellent. The, the dead of night. Right. Yeah, you know, work the night shift, uh, you know, don't respond to a few calls. You know, just, you know, I was busy ultrasounding my snakes to see where they sat, where they were, how big their follicles were. Well, don't get yourself fired, my friend. That's right. That's right. I would never do that. You would know that. I know. Uh, I know. I'm, I'm just playing. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you've, so you've got, um, so you have two clutches in the incubator now? Yes. Yep. Yep. How how and how big were the clutches? Uh, one, uh, twelve and fourteen. Nice. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. You know, I don't I don't count my condors till they're six months old. So. Uh, you know, that's exactly what I was saying. You know, earlier when I 
started telling about mine because boy, man, just having eggs in the incubator seems like such a, such a short part of the journey still, you know? Yes. Each, what have we said, Bill? Each step gets harder, right? Yeah, it's easy, like it's it. easy to put the snakes together, you know, and then, and then when you get the ovulation and then, then after the ovulator, are you going to, are you going to have a prelay shed or are you going to, right. you know, throw me off a little bit and not shed and decide to lay eggs without a prelay shed and, and then once yeah, you, why you do, do a prelay shed, why and you, why they're strong the purchase, yeah, 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 you know, and and well, and, you know. and that still happens. That still happens to the best of us. It just happened to Marshall, right? Oh yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah, Marshall had a female yeah. lay lay her whole, whole clutch right off right off the perch. Yeah, like, yep. damn. Or, or and then if you know they give you a prelay shed and then you start counting those days down. Okay, well you know when when could this happen? Um, and you know, then when you're like, okay, it's, it should be around this day. And then you, you know, I'm sure you have, you've had uh, similar experiences too, where you have a female who goes a little bit longer than everybody else. And you start thinking, oh no, could this be, could this be the snake that decides yeah. that she's not going to lay the eggs? Um, similar to the diamond, my diamond python experience and your Borneo experience. Yeah. Um, yep. Yep. You know, and then, but then when the eggs come out, then it's all, then it's, you know, putting, setting the eggs up, watching the eggs and making sure that they, you know, they're properly cared for until the hatch date. And then you get that little respite between hatch and the first shed and the start of the feeding trials. Well, when they, when they're hatching though, you know, you talked about, well, how many are going to crawl out of the egg and die? You know, because right. that, 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 or, that is certainly not a rarity. poke their head out and sit there. Yeah, right. Poke yeah. their head out and die. Yeah. Crawl out of the egg and die. Come out with a deformity. Yeah. You know, right. it, it, it's not until they're all out. I have them. They all come out. They all perch. They all look relatively normal. That's when I'm starting to think, okay, you know, now I got a pretty good chance. Eight, five, six, seven, eight years ago that wouldn't have been the case. You know, people that are working on their first, second, third clutch, you know, again, that can be really almost the beginning again, you know, feeding trials. Right. But I feel, oh, yeah. you know, after you have, after you have some experience and um, you, some experience under your belt that if you have a Neo that has normal anatomy, perches normally, gets out of the egg, you know, then I think, you know, I've got a really, really good chance of establishing that Neo. So I'm not as Correct. worried about that as, as I was, you know, five, six, seven years ago. But that's a lot of steps to get there. Yes, it is. A lot a lot of snake experience to get to that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of... <laughs> this kind of... What? A lot of what? Uh, you know, just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of like, a, you know, frustrations and, um, yes. you know, but you, it, frustrations, but you're also, it, it's important to, to not beat yourself up too badly over things that often are beyond your control. You know, like, you know, you know it's, e it's easy, it's easy. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy for you to say that, and it's easy for me to say that. But if you remember, if you can remember establishing your first few clutches, yes. Um, how you just can't. I mean, you just you feel so responsible. You know, you just feel you take it so personally. Then. Right. Yep. Yeah, I remember each and, snake. And that, that and ate, that, I just felt like I was going to do a backflip in my, you know, a backflip because it, yeah. it took a meal. You know. Yeah, that, that elation and, each, that you and each one, and each one that didn't, you felt like such a failure. You know, like you were right. What, how could you be such an idiot? What could you be doing so wrong? You know, that the, 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 not this one, but maybe you've got eight that won't eat. You know, yeah. like yeah. you know, you just it, you, it's it's very very hard at the early stage of of your breeding and establishing career to not take that personally. But as right. you know, oh, yeah. what I've learned is that, you know, now I don't take it personally. I laugh. I call it a little fuck stick and I close the tub and I don't think <laughs> twice about it, you know, but right. that's because I know that it really, it really is that snake, you know, it's his issue and it's not mine, but the first few clutches, you know, how do you know? Right. And do you, you put, so much at, like when you and we still I mean don't get me wrong but we still put a lot of effort into our collections but you oh put God. a lot of other energies I remember there was a point in my life where I, where I went to a store and all I thought about was I would look at something and go could I put a chondro in that could I use <laughs> that some way anyway as you know in, in my chondro collection or <laughs> you know yeah and eventually, you put you put a lot of mental energy into you know your first you know you you have these first breeding experiences and you put a lot of mental energy into it. Um, you do, and you, you do, and, and it's it's real. It does take, I think it takes some experience and maturity too to be able to say, you know, I've done my best effort. I've done everything possible that I could. Um, Yep. And so, you know, the out, this outcome is not a result of me, the keeper. It's just what may have even happened um, in the wild. In, right? Yeah, or in the be, or in the best of hands. You know, let, Correct. let's say you're establishing, your, you know, your first clutch or two. You know, you have to get over the fact that you're not going to be as successful as you will be 10 clutches later. You know, I, I think right. of the, the animals that I lost my first couple clutches and that I, that I would not have lost now. But there's just no substitute for it, man. There's just no way to avoid it unless you just give all of your baby snakes to somebody with a bunch of experience. And what good is that going to do you, you know? Right. Correct. Yep. You need to you need so. to build that skill. If, if this is what you want to do, you have to have that skill. You need to acquire it. Yep. Yep. Bill, I, and the only way to... it's funny, you know, I remember, um, you know, every new chondro I brought in, I was like, oh, my God, is this thing going to eat? Um, you know, and I would like, you know, be freaked out a little bit if it, you know, might appear a little strange or, you know, I'd go if, if it was crawling around during the middle of the day. And then after a while, you just kind of like, you just let that stuff go. And yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't worry. Like when I get a chondro come in, I'm like, that, but I'll say I don't get many chondros in these days. Um, I, I don't worry about 
that it, if it's you know it i know it's it's going to eat it's a, it's been established by somebody else um yeah. is it going to eat the first day here no it might not even eat the first two or three months and i'm not even going to worry about it as long as it's you know hydrated doing everything else the way it should it's going to be fine yeah you know again i keep coming back to the easy for you to say you know you are right buddy <laughs> But I, but I, know, I, I, I still. But there was a time when I wasn't like this, uh, and hopefully, no. keep, maybe somebody listening is maybe having some anxiety about something right now, and maybe, you know, their re, their actions based on their anxiety with their animal, um, you know, could 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 be more detrimental than the actual what's really going on with the animal. So. You know, maybe someone's listening is like, hey, maybe I just need to relax a little bit. Maybe I, maybe I need to crack open that bottle of wine that Bill's having and, uh, you know, take a sip and just relax that, and be happy. That That is the major point of I think this entire discussion is is new newer breeders need to cut themselves some slack. This is supposed to be fun, you know, and take some of the pressure off themselves. Ask for help if you need help. But just understand that every single one of us goes through it, and you're going to go through it too. And, you know, you're either going to get so discouraged you're going to quit or, you know, you're just going to keep trying until you work things out, and, and you will. We all do. Most of us do. Yep. Keep trying. Don't give up. Don't give up. You know, we've we've been very blessed. We've had, you know, so far, fingers crossed, you know, we've had a good start to the season. One of the things that you sent to me on a text earlier today that you wanted to talk about was it seemed like a lot of people, you know, have had good starts this year, right? Yes, absolutely. It looks like there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, see a lot of pictures of snakes that are ovulating or, you know, snakes that are, that are have just laid eggs. And so it looks yeah. like it might be a very good year for captive Bread yeah. chondros in the United States. I'm pretty excited. Um, yeah. You know, one of Bill, one of the things that I've always talked about is that um, I, I've always found it ironic that you know, um, and I'm not going to I'm not going to classify anybody's breeding as as like um, not a worthy breeding. But uh, one of the things that I always talked about is I always I always thought it was ironic that the folks who who are interested in becoming chondro breeders, um, oftentimes there's not really true U.S. captive foreign and bred animals in the entry-level price range, right? Sure. So so it's kind of, you know, the irony to me was, you know, here are the new keepers, here are the people that need to be mentored and coached that will, you know, would probably the animal would probably have a better outcome if they were to get an animal from someone who's a breeder um, that has some experience of breeding and establishing babies. Um, but, you know, the way the market is in the U.S. is like most entry-level folks, they they wind up buying, uh, you know, a, a baby maybe from, uh, you know, Bushmaster stock or someplace they buy a baby or maybe even it's a wild-caught animal. But they also what they don't get with that oftentimes is the support. Now there, we know we know there's people Bill that are in this in the condo community that that bring in you know imported babies, and there are people that actually 
they go those extra steps for folks who are new and they, they make sure that, you know, that they coach a mentor, but the vast majority of them don't. So you have these people that are new to these animals um, and, you know, they kind of just are per- make this purchase and are pretty much on their own after that. And my, my fingers are crossed that um, a lot of these clutches we're seeing that there's going to be some entry-level priced animals coming from breeders in the U.S., and that way the breeders themselves can mentor, um, you know, yes. the new keepers and make sure they get good, solid information right from the beginning, not after they've had the animal for, you know, six to eight weeks and the animal is is just not doing well. Um, and so with yeah. that way they don't start off, you know, you know, just trying to catch up with the animal. So that, that um, my fingers are crossed that, that that happens this year and, Hopefully it continues to happen because, um, you know, you, condors are very popular. And it, even people who aren't snake people are drawn to condors. Um, yeah, and yeah. so we just need to make sure we, you know, we develop the future keepers. Uh, you know, that was when we started the show way back in 2014, Bill. I don't know if you do much math mm-hmm. anymore since you're not in the hospital. Yeah, Marty. Um, Seems like a long time ago. Yeah, that's right. So eight years ago, we started this thing. It was, um, you know, one of our goals were to, you know, let's let's dispel the myths of conjure keeping. Let's let's try to help people find, you know, a you know, affordable is a word I try not to use because it's a relative term based on where you are financially, but uh, alternatives to you know, alternative methods of caging that can be successful um, and to encourage people to breed and, and to get these animals yeah. out and to, to folks who are new to the hobby so they can, they can experience the, the joy of keeping a chondro. Um, so, you know, but that's all I'm going to say about that. What do you have to say about that, Bill? Well, well, and I'll take it a step further. I mean, I think you're right. I think, you know, I love to see the success that new keepers get when they get a mentor-type relationship with their first chondro. But you know as well as I do, that relationship doesn't end once that baby's established. And who do you think that person's going to go to when they said, hey, listen, you know, I've had these chondros for three, four this female, I've had her for five years now. I want to give breeding a shot. Who do you think they're going to go to? You know, right. for their right back to that mentoring, and, and right back to that person. And and who's the person going to go to that gets one at an expo? And let's say they're lucky enough, you know, to establish it and it does great. And now it's it's time for them to breed. Who are they going to go to for a mentor? you know, to get through the breeding process, the incubation process, establishing NEOs, you know? I mean, it's going to be tough. Yeah. Google Condro. uh, Not Dr. Google. Yeah, breeding Condros. Yeah. Google breeding. (laughs) Condro Google. uh, Yeah, Google how to breed Condros and see what comes up. Um, Right. So I think you're right. I, I, I think it's, you know, it all starts there, you know. And so I hope you're right. I hope there's um, a plethora of these things that come out. We both have said it from, you know, day one. We want these things to become more popular and more you – know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you saying affordable because, let's face it, for most people, these things 
are not what you would consider an affordable um, pickup. So I hope they do become more popular, more plentiful, more affordable. Um, and, you know, I, and, and I, I really, truly think they are. I think you're seeing more green trees getting produced because I, I, I really think that the more generations you get into breeding these things into captivity, the breeding process and the, and the baby establishing process is going to become easier. I really think that's true. I do, too. I do too. You know, uh, uh, Rob Worrell, one of the one of the original guys who had a lot of success with chondros as a breeder. Um, you know, he that's how he chose his holdbacks. He he didn't care about what the baby looked like. When he offered food, if the snake took it on the first or second try, he's like, "That's a holdback." Um, yeah. And, and you know. I, if you talk to Rob, he's, uh, you know, if, when you talk to Rob, he'll tell you that he feels that's the reason why his, the people that have, you know, purchased animals from him and then bred them um, themselves, that they have good success is because that's how he decided to hold back. It wasn't because of the way the snake looked or anything like that. That, that was his yeah. preference. Yeah, right. it, it, it eats yeah. immediately. That's the one I want to keep to breed uh, in the future. So, and I, I think I think that 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 is an inheritable trait. Yeah, I I I would would have no arguments there whatsoever. So we've seen um, a lot of ovulations, a lot of a lot of eggs on the ground. Um, I've seen some babies hatched. Um, it doesn't translate into live established chondros. Right. You know, I mean, it's all those are steps in the right direction, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, that, that's, that's not the finish line for sure. No, no. It, it's a great start. But the end of the the end of the race is a, a long way over the horizon. Well, you know, I happened to go on Morph Market today and look at available U.S. captive bred green trees, um, and true, truly U.S. captive bred green trees. There's six, and I think Ian Bissell has all six of them available. So we got a long way to go. Right. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And then who knows, maybe you'll even see one at an expo for sale. Maybe. Maybe. So I know we we didn't we weren't gonna talk about this, but that made me wanna ask your question. Um you know, the um we you and I have talked about this before about going to expos with with Condros, right? Yeah. I, know, I know we've talked about it several times on the show um, over the past eight years. I know that it's come up once or twice, and you're, you are um, you've always been like we gotta have con- we we should get these condors to the show, um, and we sh- you know show people that they're out there, generate this interest. Um, I used to vend shows. I haven't been to one since 2017, right? Tinley, I think was the last one well, that's I, when I, I was, attended. That's when I was young and naive, buddy. 
Okay. So 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 now <laughs> that you're not young and naive anymore, Bill, tell me tell me have your has your position changed about taking uh you know, chondras that you've produced to to a reptile show? Yeah, you bet it has. And why, why nothing is that? but well, nothing but selfish reasons, to be honest. Um two reasons. Well, one reason, because I don't have to. You know, I right. mean, they, you, you literally, you, you, you don't have to, um, because you don't need to take them to an expo to, to sell them. Um, and when you take them to an expo, you're putting those animals at risk. Sure. And so, you know, the only reason for me to bring a green tree to an expo is out of the goodness of my heart. Um, and I have done it. I, I have I have brought in green trees to expos, not for sale, you know, because I don't have anything for sale. They've all they've all been sold, you know, before I can right. even get three meals in them, you know, they've all been sold. Right. Um, so I think that's the reason I didn't understand that fully at the time. Um, having said that, I know that you have vended a long time ago. You brought green trees. Um, and I have on occasion, I can think of two different times where I've vended with a handful of green trees, but it's not like the old days, you know, and you were there and I wasn't where Rico and Trooper and the Condro right. coalition and all, all those guys would come and there'd be 50 captive bred green trees available to buy. Right. Correct. Correct. We, yeah. At, this is just the Mid-Atlantic Reptile Show, which is was was the premier show, at least in my opinion, uh, in with for the longest time, um, because for the longest time they only allowed uh, captive born and bred animals. Period. At uh, at the show, they were very stringent on who could who could vend and what you could vend, and they they kept the diversity was was also a goal they didn't want you know 90 of 120 cables being the same species so they were very yeah. um very you know very tightly regulated um but you know at one point you know i'm i'm vending rico and trooper are to the left of me with Midas, the one of the albino <laughs> chondros, um, at a show, um, uh, at my table with me was um, Ben Evans, GTP fan, who no, I don't think he, keep, he no longer keeps anymore. Um, ben and I had to share a table. Next to us was uh, Sean and Christian Stewart. Across the aisle from us, was Rob Worrell and John Lecky and um, a couple other of uh, Speedy Gonzalez, um, Shane Snyder. So a, a large group of Chondro folk were there, and we were all in yeah. one area. And you yep. could go down, and you, you could have walked away with seven or eight captive-bred Chondros from different bloodlines and kick-started off your collection in one weekend, um, and you could have picked them out right there, seen them in person. Um, but that is that that is no that doesn't happen anymore. In some well, ways, hopefully, it's sad. 
Yeah, it is sad. It's sad in a lot of ways. Um, I I just think that it, doing the shows and being at those type of shows with the quality of people, and Greg Maxwell used to vent that show too, by the way. Um, yeah. Uh, both as a cage, both when he did his caging and when he did Congress. Right, making, um, right. Yep, yep. Um, and so yeah, I, it, it just gave a tighter sense of community just because you were there with these folks. Um, they knew what was going on, what you were producing, you know what they were producing, um, that you caught up with them. Um, you know, they, and it just, it just gave a, a, a stronger in-person sense of community. And I, I don't, I think that's really, a lot of that's really hard to replicate with on, online communities. A lot of that comes close, but you, you just don't get the, the same feeling that you had doing the, doing those type of events. And then there's, of course, always the social events after this, the, the show days and all the, those kind of things as well. Um, so, yeah, I am kind of sad that, that that doesn't happen. But I, like much like you, Bill, when I have animals available, uh, you know, I would say probably right now like 80% of my customers are, are folks that have purchased Condor from me in the past, and they want another one. Um, and so they just start – they know when to start sending, you know, sending an email or text messaging me or, you know, hey, you know, want a Condor, let me know what you got available, um, and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So – but I think maybe that I do think that that does that does take away opportunities for for other people as well. And I think it would be kind of neat to have, you know, another show, you know, a show where there where there were chondros. And I and I do it. Yeah. It is hard to like, you know, travel across country with you know twenty baby chondros. Sure. Um, Hell yeah, it is. You know, you've you yeah. know you've done it. I've done it. Um, you know, and there's so many things to think about, like, yeah, there is so many things that can go wrong. You know, you're, you're you're an hour away from disaster, you know, you're an hour away from disaster at all times, at all times, you know, I, you know, you have to think about, you know, you're staying in a hotel room. Just think about like how easy it would be for somebody just to like say, Oh man, that guy's got a very nice snake collection and just to, you know, peruse hotel lobbies until you come strolling through one of them and maybe follow you back to your room and, and, you know, take your animals, you know, something like that. Those things cross my mind, you know, those type of things like that, that type of stuff, not even just like, Oh yeah, we could go there and some, somebody could, uh, you know, lay a ball python on top of your chondro, uh, you know, your chondro display that, you know, came from Mites R Us right across the right across the uh, aisle from you. Yeah. Um right? Yeah. Or, or just or who knows or, what else. Or just wild or just wild temperature, you know, swings that you can't anticipate. Yeah. You know. You know, maybe right. it's maybe it's twelve degrees outside, you know, and you're transporting them from the car or wherever into the show and, and you know they, they just get they just get too cold for for too long, and 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 now you're battling respiratory infections on you know on top of the stress of the move, and you know just I don't know. I'm a, we're all warriors, you know. That's that's why we're yeah. That's why we like chondro. That's why we like chondros because <laughs> we're warriors, you know. So, um, but anyway, I, I hope that that we're both right, and we're going to see more production, more people keeping. 
lower price points, um, back into expos. I just don't, I know a few things why, a few things that had caused the change compared to like 20 years ago. I mean, I know there are some things out there, but God, it seemed like you guys were producing an incredible amount back then. Greg Maxwell alone, you know, his count would go into the 200s. You know, he'd be, right. you know, uh, 19, you know, 99.208, you know, or whatever. And it's like, Jesus Christ, he's producing 200 baby green trees a year. Just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy on many levels. <laughs> yeah. Yes, on many, many levels. levels. <laughs> no, no wonder he's a hermit somewhere, you know, and. That's right. <laughs> gnashing, you know, just, <laughs> God, just all gnashing his teeth and, you know, in a straitjacket. No wonder. <laughs> he, he probably wakes up oh. like he has these he has these dreams of like, you know, 200 chondro babies and, you know, trying to get them to eat. And he probably wakes up like all stressed. Like, oh, this, oh, oh that was that was the past. He's all sweaty. You know, he's, you know it's like a flashback, oh. post-traumatic stress oh. scene. Oh, get the get this! I'll tell you how bad it's got. I just talked to him a week ago. Guess what he's doing? Oh gosh, pimps. I know he was making guitars. Well, now the pimp's breeding ball pythons. Are you serious? I am dead serious. Okay. Well, hey, <laughs> look, I like your Greg. Mind? I yeah. like him well, too. I, I, I honestly, I'm it's not surprised. Funny. He's back doing something because look when you're like me bill we well i've been doing this since i was a young kid like you know bought my first uh, children i back in 1989 did a first clutch in 1992 right so i've been on this road for a long time and um i i've seen people who've been in the hobby for a long time and they kind of like fade away yeah but then but then they come back, and they may not be back doing the same thing they were doing before, but something else has, has caught their eye, or they just missed the the hobby itself. And so they find a way back. And I think it's – I'm actually happy for him that he's actually – if he is doing that, that that's good for him. Um, I always – you know, he was, he was always very uh, – a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about Greg, um, but my, my experience personal experience with Greg. He was always very kind and very patient um, when I was new. Um, and, uh, you know, so I, I have nothing bad to say about Greg. And if he's doing ball pythons, that, you know, good for him. I hope he's really, I hope I, he's enjoying I, it. And I hope he's not waking 100%. up in the middle of the night all sweaty. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking no, about, I've got to feed all oh. these babies. <laughs> Oh my God! Well, I'll tell you this: he, he's doing it on a very small scale, and as you can imagine, with him, a very high-end, uh, yeah, high-end, you know, animals. So, right. So, yeah, um, it was good to hear from him. I was surprised to hear that he was doing that, but I was happy for him. I'm glad he's doing it. What a great ambassador, you know, to come into the world of ball pythons. Right. And, you know, just his collection, but, you know, again, a lot of people really, um, really criticize his book, but his book, when it came out, um, 
was, I mean, it, it sold like hotcakes. You couldn't even get it. Um, and, oh, my and God. You can't even get the original now. No, I mean, um, I, 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 I don't, I mean, I, I know you say people criticize this, but it is still, you know, a book that I recommend to people right. to get into and to read. I mean, I think it's still, you know, a very, very valuable resource. So I don't know how people can be super critical of the information that's in that book. Yeah, me neither, but there are. But, Bill, let me share with you this funny story. This is what I used to do. So I had the book. I bought it directly from Greg, and he autographed it for me, which is awesome. Nice. But each chondro pairing I did for like the first five or six years of chondro breeding, I would take that book, and I would open it up. And he, because he very, wrote, he, he wrote, this is how you breed chondros. You, you know, you do this, and these are, these are the steps you'll see if you're successful. And I remember every year when I did a pairing, I would open up that book and I would read the pairing page. And then <laughs> when the female ovulated, I would, read the ov- I would read the ovulation section. And so I would like kind of mark my progress through that book. And then when the females laid the – or had the prelace yet, and then when the fe- – so, and I would – you know, turn those pages to synchronize what was going on exactly with my collection for like the first five or six years that I, that I did Condors. Awesome. Awesome. I did a very similar strategy with when I breeding ball pythons with a, with another ball python breeder that had put out a book and a DVD. Yep. There you go. Yep. Good so, stuff. Bill, History's we're, good uh, stuff. <laughs> we're 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 about twenty four minutes out from when we wanted to end. Um, what, what do you want to talk about next? Okay, um, I pick. see we have a caller in the. I see we have a caller in the queue. Do, do you see that? I, I'm actually, yeah, I think to be honest with you, I haven't even been looking. I, my as a matter of fact, I know my computer has went to sleep. Uh, I think I know who it is, and I think I know what he wants to talk about. So let's talk about that. One of the things that was on your list was uh, morphs in green trees, right? Yes. Okay. And so okay. Um, why don't we give that a go for a few minutes? And I know if this, if this is who I think it is, I think that's what they wanted uh, to either chime in or had a question about. Oh, okay, gotcha. Hello. Welcome to GGP Keeper Radio. <laughs> What's going on, guys? What's up, Patrick? What's going on? <laughs> Not a whole lot, man. Um, just uh, I'm in here in my living room, which is actually just a snake room with a couch stuffed in the corner. And, uh, the best type of living room? my second workout of the day. Yeah, well, I, I'm going to try to get it back pretty soon. Maybe talk about that some other time when you'll have more time. But I'm, I'm, we're, I'm moving. We're kind of putting a facility together so I can have some of my house back, which will be fantastic. Because oh, nice. um, right now, I Very literally nice. my whole house is a series of snake rooms, and they let me have some small little corners of it, and that's a, about it. So. Well, luckily you're um, very flexible. <laughs> luckily you're flexible, and you can fit into small spaces. 
That's that's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's what I'm sitting here doing is some uh, you know a little bit of physical practice. What do my second workout of the day while I'm listening to you guys and sharing the living room with a trio of Brettles pythons, and one of them is having her. She I just watched her have her whole shed while working out and listening to you guys, which is pretty nice. cool. They're all coming out of out of brumation, and there's a giant gaboon viper in here that wants to eat me, and a Mangshan viper <laughs> on my kitchen counter. <laughs> crazy, but, uh, crazy. Hey, congratulations, um, uh, congratulations! You had a you had a clutch, right? I did have. I I had uh, eggs. I pulled eggs this morning. Um, yeah, nice. I, my, I'm super spit, uh, superstitious and like to say don't congratulate me until I have feeding babies because, Bill, as you well know, <laughs> I couldn't hatch eggs to save my life last year. So, Well, um, I'm sorry about that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the eye wink and say uh, I'm, I'm glad you had some eggs then. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I built a new incubator, so I'm just trying to eliminate my failure variables. Um, but they uh, – this is the first time female. She gave me 13 good eggs and no slugs, and nice. I decided not to separate them. And I just th- threw the there. I you know I feel like the only thing I'm worried about without separating is being able to pip some. But the way the clutch was arranged, I can reach all of them if I need to. And so I just tossed them in the in the box, and I'm gonna let them rock and roll. Cross my fingers. Very very good save. Very save good. Puerto Rico. We uh, chondro breeders do a lot of finger crossing, I think. Yes, we do. We, we, <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We certainly always, do. Um, I, I want always to say, expect the uh, worst. Uh, yeah, I'm a. I'm a. Um, uh, I'm not an expect the worst. I'm a hope for the best, but um, have thick skin kind of guy. <laughs> so yeah, right. Um, and I, I'm sure you guys are well aware that my skin's pretty thick for a lot of different reasons. So. Sure, <laughs> sure. I, I want to, um, before we, we touch on this chondromorph thing, I want to say just a couple of things really quick. Bill, was the was the vet that you used um, for your blood female, was that Jeff Stilly? No, his last name was Gentry. Oh, and okay, Texas, okay. Texas, uh, Texas avian uh, exotic and, avian, and uh, grapevine. Yep. Yeah, he's yep. got a chondro yep. on his uh, business card. Um, oh, I does he? I cool. didn't even know. Yeah. There's another local the vet, Jeff Stilly. No, no, I, I didn't. I just, I was just curious. I'm, I'm always wanting to know where any decent vet is at around here because there's so few decent reptile vets. Um, For sure. The, the other thing I wanted to ask was, um, is this the first time that you have uh, these eggs that you're sitting on right now from the Manicori? Is this the first time you've bred a chondro that you produced? Um. No, because I bred the sickness. Oh, that's right. That's right. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's a good one for me to fucking forget about. <laughs> uh, that's no, right. It's, it's um, pretty, pretty, clo- pretty close to, you know, I, there certainly haven't been very many. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, Maybe much. I'm working on, uh, on two different ones that are hopefully that we'll be able to do a little swappy swap on that one because, you know, I've got the good. sibling to that male breeding the manicori. Uh, male yep, here so it's literally the exact same pairing but also just different female the clutch yep. yeah exactly and the, the clutch uh, well genetically same pairing right mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. the clutch that i got this morning is from my colorado chondros male that is an older sibling to son of b from the original 
Arfak out cross clutch and being that um, Sorong and Manakori are the same thing. It's a very genetically similar pairing as well. So that's crazy. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, cool. we'll definitely we'll definitely work something out there. It's it's funny because uh, I, like this this is not a not a joke, but it is funny that a huge part of my goals with breeding are to produce things with plans to trade them to other breeders. I'm like, man, I, like <laughs> like my my Manaquari stuff and whatnot. I'm I'm always just hoping I can hatch something out that Gary or David Brahms will want to trade me for. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. So, anyways, um, I talked to Greg Maxwell this more or this afternoon actually, and uh, he definitely is breeding ball pythons. But I also I keep sending him little pictures here and there and hoping it'll, uh, you know, spark something. Um, Reinspire him maybe. Well, yeah, I have an animal here that he produced. I have an Ella sibling over here that I scraped up at a reptile show on the subject of chondros at expos. I bought a, a sibling to Ella Diablo recently at a at a, at a reptile wow. expo. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, I wanna, tell me that. Yeah, yeah, I got eyes and ears, you know. And one of my buddies called me before the show even opened. A, a friend of mine that was vending. And uh, I got a Versace Greta female, that solid blue Ken Deal female, um, mm-hmm. and the uh, Maxwell male uh, for a, less than what most people are selling individual captive bred babies for right now. So um, they're all old animals, and you know, if I, it's worth the money to me just to have them in front of me because they're all historic lines to me. Uh, it's it's worth every penny just to be able to look at them. Well, very good, Patrick. You know, yeah. you know. I told you we we're on a hard, on a hard time stop here in, in just a few minutes. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. One of, the, one of the topics we were going to discuss, you know, were these morphs and chondros. So you yeah. and I talked a little bit about it when you were over here. Um, That's right. So why don't you why don't you kind of give us your thought about about morphs and chondros? I know that you're of the opinion that the albino is not the only morph in green trees, right? Yeah, yeah, I am. And the first thing that you have to get out of the way there um, is to – so many people waste so much time arguing about a term when they can't even agree on the definition of the term. If you can't agree on the definition of the term, that has to be your argument first because you can't say (laughs) there's no chondromorphs if you don't even agree on what a morph is, right? So what do you mean by morph? Morph can simply mean morphological variant, in which case two, two siblings from the same clutch of some locality rat snake that look different from one another phenotypically are a morphological variant and therefore a morph. But what most of us are referring to is going to be a, some type of mutation that is a proven genetically heritable trait, Genetic. right? Like that's mostly what right. we're talking about. So right. tell me that calico is not a morph when multiple generations down the line, the exact same phenotype pops up randomly only in those lines that look entirely different from other animals in in the clutch. Tell me that mosaic is not a morph when you can breed him to the 
a solid fucking green yellow neo aru and get animals that are that extreme with that same phenotype tell me that's not a morph no it's not a simple recessive trait like albinism but it's clearly a heritable trait and therefore morphed by anybody's definition I won't put right. uh, words in Buddy's Buddy's mouth, but I agree 100%. 100%. And I think the morph, the whole morph thing, is really overflowing from morphs and ball pythons. To be honest, yeah, correct. Because yeah. Right. you know, p- p- people in the carpet world, they refer to morphs that are polygenic. You know, striping yeah. in carpet pythons, tigers. Yes. You know, that mm-hmm. that's polymorphic. Right. Those are polymorphic you know, inherited morphs. Those aren't mm-hmm. recessive or incomplete dominant or dominant. So I think the yeah. whole morph thing is an overflow because there is no polygenic stuff in ball pythons or no, very little or no. none that I'm aware of or whatever. It's all right. Mendelian um, genetics. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's where people get bogged down. Well, and here's, here's, a, here's another Correct. thing to factor in that with ball pythons, we're talking about one species with no hybridization versus green tree pythons where there is almost any designer line has some level of hybridization in it, right, Uh, under the new classifications that I agree with Mm -hmm. 100%, and I think it's even more complicated than that. I think Beox are entirely a different species from the mainland stuff. Um, That's my opinion, but it's always been funny to me that people that say you can't look at a chondro and tell the difference in locality when I I look at an Aru and a Beox and can't imagine how people think that's the same species as snake. But so there's that to contend with that you have hybridization with a morph moving across hybrid genetics. And then the fact that these animals are highly variable, even within a given population. So when you take a highly polymorphic species, hybridize it to a great degree across generations, and then introduce an extreme genetically heritable trait, of course, you're not going to have a, a whole bunch of piebalds that look exactly the same or, or whatever, right? Like there's just, there's too right. many variables there um, for these animals to have uh, like a, a set classic look that lines up, which is why they're so bad. Right. Like that's why we don't do ball pythons. And, that's yep. why we do chondros and, and, because they're unpredictable and insane. And so Absolutely. exactly what you're saying, Patrick, is the, the variability of these animals has conditioned us to not notice certain phenotypical characteristics that yeah. other nuanced breeders of other species would have picked up on. Yes. I'm going to give you, yeah, a, I'm to give you some examples. Um, I had a Bioc nameless enduring, uh, one of the breeders from Germany. Clearly. You remember her? Right. Okay. Absolutely. One of the breeders, from, one of a person from Germany, got a hold of me and he said, "Hey, I think that animal is hypomelanistic. Tell me the tongue color. It's gray." He's like, "I think it's hypomelanistic." Right. So, as mm-hmm. chance would have it, this these animals both came. Uh, this that female and a male. I bought two, a male. Well, I bought two Biox from Harlan. I bought a mm-hmm. uh, a yellow animal and a red animal. The yellow turned out the female Indurain. The red, probably a sibling, can't say for certain, um, but looked like a typical red, you know, Bioc type thing as an adult, right? I mm-hmm. bred, I produced a clutch of Bioc from those animals. All the red babies, 
are high yellow. All the ba- all the red babies had gray tongues as adults that, that lived to adulthood. Um, yeah. One of the yellows I kept back because it looked like the female um, turned out to be a high yellow animal as well with the same thing as a gray tongue. Now, the plan was Didn't to Didn't Lecky end a up with a really, pick. really high yellow? Yes. Animal? Yes. Yes. John Lecky has one. Um, but that's yeah. the only one I know that's left out of the out of the red babies. Um, mm-hmm. John Lecky has that animal. And um, so so when you think about when a chondro goes through a color change, and Patrick, you probably know this way better than I do, but the the green is melanism, right? Am I correct? That's yes. Uh, yes. That's the, the melanocytes it's, have been activated. The blue, and they're, they're the blue is... The blue is melanin, and mixed with the yellow makes the green. Green, correct, right? So, it's, so it's the mm-hmm. melanocytes are activated, and so yes. a hypomelanocytochondro would most likely wind up looking like a, a yellow, like an, a, a yellow animal, but much different than Midas looked as an adult. So, had this, you know, in my mind for a long time, um, and. Um, the lemon tree male comes here from the stewards. What's the first thing mm-hmm. I notice about this high yellow chondro? Gray tongue. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Got well, a lemon you tree. You know, a lemon tree animal um, whose origins are kind of known, but we really don't know. Like we understand, there was a uh, two animals were paired together, may have been siblings, um, and produced the lemon trees. Right. We believe they were mainland animals. At least that's the story that we're aware of. Um, so, yeah. so, um, you know, hypomelanism may be a morphing chondros that we just call high yellow because we call them high yellows and they're not. Now, I can't say that every high yellow would be a hypomelanistic chondro, but if you understand how the <laughs> color change progresses, right? Uh-huh. In order to have a yellow snake, there would be a lack of melanin, or at least a lack of melanin activation, to make that snake uh-huh. look like that. Are yeah. you following me? Yes, I am. But and and while I'm following keepers, you, well, I was going to say I'm I'm sitting here with a lemon tree biot kofiao in front of me right now that's about 96% yellow with pink dorsals. This is a five foot long adult. He's got pink dorsals mm-hmm. and he has a gray tongue. I poked him while there you were you saying that to see what color his tongue okay. was. <laughs> so, you know, just some kind of, I can't say rock solid that this is, you know, that, that, you know, I can't, I can't say that a hundred percent that this is what it is, but I believe that that is yeah. the, that is, that would be a hypomelanistic expression of chondros. And if you think about our mite phase chondros or an animal like the sickness, you know, in another type of species, we would call them melanistic animals, you know, but we call mm-hmm. them light phase animals because that's what we call them. But if you would think about, yeah. you know, look at our friends in the carpet python community, they have hype, both hypomelanism, talking about bread alive, right? Mm-hmm. There's, yep. a, there's a hypomelanistic form that we know of, and, there's, and they're, they're probably it's in some places uh, maybe not even known of yet, but there probably is a hypermelanistic because – uh, most things in nature, you the opposite the opposite exists, right? And the same thing, yeah. we could say the same thing about chondros. We have very chondros with a lot of black, melanistic, hypermelanistic, and we have chondros that are hypo. It could be hypomelanistic. Um, so that's where my line of thinking is, and I can say that um, 
since this animal hatched out with me in 2020, I've been very cautious of what what I call it, um, but yeah. just seeing what it looks like today and look what it looked like as a hatchling, and going back and looking through the clutch that was hatched in 2018 and what some of those hatchlings looked like and the similarities of now three clutches of babies um, that have a very unique look to them. Mm-hmm. Even the babies, so even, as you were saying, Patrick, even the babies that have a certain characteristics could be a morph, right? We know yes. that some animals that had, you know, talk to a breeder, I'm going to hold back the, the darkest, most, then the animal without any pattern is what I'm going to hold back out of this clutch of chondros. You know, mm-hmm. well, why is that? Because, you know, the animals that were extreme look like that, and most of the times that's the case. They they, they go that route. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree. Here's here's a good thing. I just thought of this um, when you were talking about the calico animals. So um, I have animals that uh, in my uh, collection that came from Mandango, which, Patrick, I know you, you know who Mandango was, right? Oh, of Mark course. Taro had him. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So – if you look at Mandango and you take a picture of his, one of his uh, grandchild snakes, whatever you want to call it, F2s past him, um, mm-hmm. which is in my collection would be the Remedy. The Remedy looks yeah. almost like Mandango. So, Black you know, it's just, yeah, yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think there is. Um, and I don't know if you guys are aware, but there's a keeper in Australia, James Lyons. Um, uh-huh. And he's hatched out some really, I don't know if you've seen any photos of his animals. He has some really interesting animals that would fit the definition, and I believe they are hypomelanistic, of yeah. the high yellow hypomelanistic animals. And I so think he just I, I, I another, tend to think that that mustard look is maybe a form of hypomelanism. Because if, if sure, you were speaking absolutely. earlier on what, what a hypo might look like as an adult, it, by, by definition, anything that has less melanin than normal is hypomelanistic. But we're careful to say Correct. it that way because of the, the whole – because of the uh, – what's the best way to say this? The morph market culture, we want to prove that something is a genetically heritable trait before we throw a common morph tag on it Correct. in public, right? But if right. you Correct. look at these um, – these uh, a lot of these mustard animals, that mustard color leans toward yellow, but it's not quite, which tells me that it's less melanin than a green one, but not a total lack. Um, and so I've always kind of thought that that mustards were, were kind of a hypo thing. Um, the on the subject of morphs and and kind of in the same vein, um, this lemon tree line animal that's in front of me right now is. 25% lemon tree and was a red baby, but has the classic lemon tree phenotype. Um, and the rest is locality blood. And even though there's some Kofiao in there, Kofiao, as we know, doesn't necessarily support high yellow, even though they're yellow snakes. The Kofiao is still just a poultry type animal. It's the Bioc blood in right. there that maybe helps out. But this animal looks like any lemon tree in any picture that you've seen, even though it's only 25%. And I think it's just because the phenotype is genetically heritable and popped up in this particular animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> I was tempted to go around and start poking, uh, 
poking chondros and looking at their tongue colors. Um, but it's yeah, after dark, and that's not say, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, 8, 8.30 at night, yeah. Be careful with that. you got to work Yeah, especially yeah. I've got about a million Beox yeah. over here, and all my face will be bleeding <laughs> real quick. If I... so. All right, Patrick. Well, hey, cool. man, thank you, thank you well, so much for your input and calling in. I knew this was an important topic to you because we just talked about it a week ago or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think it's a silly argument, That that's all. And uh, um, so I just, you know, good opportunity to get my, my little uh, opinion in about it all it is all right brother it was good talking to you my friend hey you too man you too and and buddy haven't talked to you in a while man we'll have to catch up a little I bit i know yes definitely definitely all right guys well maybe uh maybe sometime in the near future we can sit down and do one of these whole deals together yeah sounds good let's do it awesome maybe uh maybe uh, we won't wait till 2023 yeah, maybe see if I can actually hatch some eggs so I can have something to compare my failures to. All right, Patrick. Take care. All right, guys. Y'all have a good evening. Yep, you too, Patrick. Take care, my friend. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, very ironic that that we were talking about that, uh, Patrick and I, a couple of weeks ago, and then you messaged me that you wanted to – you wanted to discuss it episode. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, um, I know we're, we're really running short here, but I think, I think we could definitely delve more into this in the future. Maybe even we can get, be awesome. Maybe we can reach out to James and see if he'd be willing to try to connect with us from Australia to talk about what's going on with his animals and what he's seeing and how they're, how they're changing into adulthood. No, I think it'd be awesome if we wanted to do uh do a round table with Patrick and, and James and and you know, uh just really focus on, on uh on that. That'd be an awesome awesome podcast. I think so. Awesome. Let's do it. All right, All right. Bill. We are there already. So I think and, based uh, on the schedule I'll see – we'll have another show sometime in late 2023, which is another 15 months. <laughs> we we got to do better, man. We got to do better. We some have people to. We like, have to. Some people like this show. I'm not sure why, but some yeah. people There's like, like three or four people that like it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I saw that. <laughs> All right. Well, obviously, uh, have your girl call my girl, and uh, we'll get it on the books, and we'll do lunch. Uh, sounds perfect, Bill. Thank you. And everyone, thanks for, uh, if you're listening live, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank you, Patrick, for calling in. Sorry I didn't, wasn't paying attention to my uh, computer with the studio stuff up. Bill and I were just yakking, in the, so I should have been paying attention. We could have brought you in sooner. Uh, but thanks for taking the time to give us a call and uh, discuss your, share your thoughts with us. And uh, all right, everyone, another episode in the books. Year eight has started. Good night, everybody. See you, Bill. See you, buddy.